0: i 'm excited about what I get to share with you out of the word this morning it 's personal and it 's an area of scripture that I think much of the time we tend to just go pretty quickly uh, through these comments that are in the New testament epistles and yet, as I was praying, okay Lord what, what can we bring in preparation for where we 're going and, and what 's happening as a church and I really believe that the Spirit guided me to this passage. I wouldn't normally preach this passage. I might preach verse 6, but I don't know how much I would preach the rest of this passage as just a topical. But as He revealed it to me, I became more and more convicted and convinced that there's great power in what's listed here. This morning we're going to be in Philippians 1, 3-11. We're talking about someone saying thank you. And this idea of team. Team just disappeared, but how many of you recognize this team? Come on, any Germans in the room? Yes, the German national team. Don't they look like a happy bunch? Yes. And uh, so I didn't want to leave out the Americans for you people that, that, you know, you're saying, come on, Pastor Jeremy, you live in America. So the American national team, fantastic. I don't know what... uh, I don't know what Beckham's doing there at the end. Uh, Whatever. So another team that you guys might know of that was really famous. Who's this? Which team is this? The Dream Team. And well done. Fantastic. Um, Yeah, Chuck Daly looks like he's squished. Pretty bad in there. So, yeah, I hope he survived that. So this is a beautiful painting picture that that we uh, we purchased yesterday this is just a beautiful shot now notwithstanding i don't really appreciate usc i'm not into that but this is like a watercolor painting picture thing um, but then we found out its original source and and how many of you are big sc fans any anybody but i'm not either okay so none of us are sc fans so why oh you are i thought you were a north carolina fan Oh, I saw you raising your hand. Oh, Pam is Pam is an SC fan. All right. Well, you're in friendly territory. We won't hold it against you. Someone in this picture might hold it against you, Pam. But uh, let's see who actually is in this picture. That's right. How many recognize Brad Walter? Brad Walter was on the floor of the Coliseum yesterday. Now, I really feel badly for him because he's separate. He was there for the coin toss. He was representing Fresno State University, his alumni. With the coin toss, but I think he just got to walk out. And then they made him stand behind the USC guys. So uh, it was bittersweet, maybe. I I don't know. But as I look at this idea of team, um, you know, I I mourn Brad's loss yesterday. Actually, more today. It's our loss. You might be thinking because FSU had it handed to him. No, I, I don't care about that. I care about the fact that Brad's part of our team. And he's not here today, and I'm I'm mourning that. Yes, his spot right there is empty, and uh, so I kind of feel it when when we are missing individuals, and yet he it's almost like he's turned his back on us in this picture. It's, I can't believe that. So let's get back to the passage. You know we had we had the Emmys this past week, uh, of which I did not watch, and I could care less. But you know during those ceremonies, they always have this long protracted. I want to thank, I want to thank, I want to thank. And, you know, if I were up there, I'd, I'd be, I want to thank meat. My friend meat and its friend potatoes. Because of all they have done for me. And then the gratuitous, I want to thank my mother and father because of their genes. You have created this along with meat and potatoes. Look at the creation that you have made. That would be my acceptance speech for anything. And, uh, but think about those. It's this long effort to say thank you, right? And even after a a certain ball game, there there are interviews, and I'm not thinking of one in specific, but when we're talking about team and saying thank you, something phenomenal happened that I don't believe has ever happened in MLB, in, in baseball, last night. A team used nine bullpen pitchers throughout an entire game and beat, shut out a team with an ace who pitched A complete game and lost. And so the team effort beat out, unbelievably, the ace who pitched a complete game. Not something you normally see. There are incredible things that happen when a team works together. And that's why we want to focus on thank you today. Because this is what Paul is saying in this passage. Let's look at it. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Continues on in verse seven to say this, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Amen. This morning as we move through this passage, we've broken it down into four points for us. We'll move through each verse. 3-5 through Is this idea that he's thankful to God in all of his remembrance. He starts out the, the, the letter to the church at Philippi by giving some basic instructions about who he is, then he gets into the meat. He starts by communicating with them and saying to them how much uh, he remembers who they are and how faithful they are and how it brings him great joy. He does this in two fashions. Number one, it's manifested in his prayers. When you think of those that you are teamed up with, how often... Are your prayers filled with thankfulness? As opposed to interceding for them. As opposed to asking God to work in their life. Or protection or various other things. And yet Paul is saying this. He says, in all ways I remember you. What a great statement about this team from Philippi. So in his remembrance, in his efforts, he's saying there is... There's nothing lacking to say that he is thankful to God in all his remembrance of them is is similar to saying there's nothing that disappoints me about you. Wow. What if a coach said that about you? What if a parent said that about you? What if a boss said that about you? But most importantly, what if God said that about you? Paul says this to a group of people that he was instrumental in establishing this church and he left leadership behind to make them grow and to encourage and to teach. And as he's writing from afar, he reflects back on his relationship. and, And not just his relationship with them, but everything he's hearing about them. He says, In all things, when I remember you, I'm thankful. What a praise. And it moves into his prayer time for them. As a matter of fact, part of this could be even seen as a prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving. And secondly, not only is this manifested in his prayers for them, <coughs> excuse me, but their prayers of joy. Their prayers of joy. What a blessed opportunity. That as you pray for a group of individuals, I want you to think now about people you're in charge of. And I want you to imagine praying over them, praying for them. And would your prayers be prayers of joy? Or would they start as prayers of, Lord, you really need to do something with these people? We're probably inclined to think in that direction. And we probably think we're spiritual for doing that. Well, I'm praying over them, Jesus. So how can my attitude be wrong? But Paul's looking at them and he's saying, not only in my memories am I gratefully encouraged and I give thanks about you, but then in my prayers I'm giving thanks to you. And those prayers are prayers of joy. Do you start to understand the relationship between this group of people and Paul? It was special. It was unique. And it is the way that it's supposed to be A question for you this morning if you're looking at your notes. How do you choose to be thought of? As we look and we reflect on Paul's statement to this church, his opening statement to them, and he says, the first thing I want you to understand is that as I remember you, you bring great joy to me in my prayers and in my remembrance of you. How do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be thought of? And how can you get to that point Where those who are important to you would say something like that. Think through it. Wrestle with that today. Make those appropriate changes. Or make the effort that's required to get to this point. Secondly, he says that he's confident that the providential hand of God will do multiple things. And and we'll talk about three three points here. Verse 6, It says, I'm sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will what? Bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. How many of you have memorized this verse? It's a very encouraging verse. It speaks to the providential hand of God. Paul speaks as someone who knows about the providential hand of God. Paul speaks as one who was untimely born, who was called into an apostleship. If somebody is going to make such a bold statement that, hey, if God started to work with you, He's going to keep working with you and He's going to complete it, Paul would know. This instruction, this encouragement, isn't simply for the Philippians. This is for us as well. So let's look at three things that we can learn from this and that we can glean from it this morning. So number one, he is confident that the providential hand of God Has given its evidence of work in their lives. And Samuel, I've lost control again. Folks, we're going to buy a new remote. Or I'm going to kick a hole in the wall. And I'll have to. That's what you'll remember about your pastor. (laughs) I'm confident of this very thing, that this may or may not work. There we go. Okay. He's confident that the providential hand of God has given its evidence of work in their lives. Have you seen that in your own life? Have you seen God's work in your life? Paul doesn't just recognize it in his own life. He recognizes it in others. Can we recognize when God's hand is at work? Do we see when God's hand is at work? And how do we respond to God's hand at work? He not only says that that's happened, but he used present tense and he says that's going to continue to happen into future tense. When God is working with us, it's not just the initial role. It's not just the initial part. I look out in in your faces and I know some of you and I've had the privilege of seeing Christ come into your life. There's the providential hand of God coming in and starting that work. I've also seen God continue to work in your life and mold you into who He desires you to be into relationship with Him. And now you're serving in capacities that a year ago, two years ago, you never would have imagined that you'd be doing. This is exactly what Paul's talking about. And as Paul gives thanks to this, he says God will continue to do this work. Till when? Till there's a completion. The idea that there is a completion fits with this idea that Paul often talks about that there is a race. You've heard some of the Scripture. He says it to the church in Galatia. He says it to the church here at Philippi. Uh, It's echoed through Thessalonians. That, That we are running this race, and he borrows this metaphor often. Folks, a race has a beginning and a what? An end. So in your race, in the race of those that are in the church at Philippi, he says there will be a day of completion. You know, if you've ever run a race, sometimes that's really encouraging. And uh, some of you have heard the stories I've told about my dad taking me to some of those municipal track meets in our city. And uh, he entered me into everything. And I have to tell you, nine-tenths of those things, I would get involved, and I couldn't wait for that thing to be over. It was my dream to be done with that race. And thank God there was an end to it. And sometimes, as I looked back, I was thankful for the race that I ran because there was a what? There was a reward. And as we listen to these words of Paul stemmed out of verse 6, this is going to continue to happen under God's provision in your lives, the the church of the uh, the, uh, Philippians, but also for us, that He started the work, He's continuing to work in us, and there will be a day of completion where it stops. And then we enter into... Our eternal rest with Him. This is why it's so important, my friends, that we are walking according to what Christ has for us. We get one race. And Paul recognizes that the church at Philippi, they took it seriously and they were running well. Because there was fruit from it. What has God started in you? What has God started in you? What a tremendous work God is doing in each of you as individuals. And maybe this morning for you, you have to have that initial start. Maybe coming into faith, coming into relationship, maybe you're just dating Jesus right now. I don't know. But many of you have accepted the engagement. Many of you have metaphorically said, yes, I will. Before family, before brothers, before sisters, but mostly before God. And you've entered into that relationship and now He's continuing to work in your life. But this morning, maybe that's the starting point for you. Maybe it's about seeking His will and knowing how to bear fruit. And knowing that you will please God in bearing fruit and therefore proving that you're His disciple. John fifteen eight, Wrestle with that question. What has God started in you? If He's started something, my friends, then that means there is a race to be run and there's a completion to be done. Amen? So we have to get into our lane. By the way, don't ever run somebody else's race, right? You get DQ'd. Don't step over the line into somebody else's race. You have your particular race that God has set out for you. And that's what you need to pursue. Point three, he is obligated to feel this way because, verse 7 says this, and I love this part, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Wow. If an apostle wrote something down that stuck in the Word of God about our church, would we not want this to be said? I, I don't want... Man, you guys had a nice building. A couple cobwebs here and there. You guys had some great PowerPoint. You know, it struggled every once in a while, but, you know, working through it. You guys had um, some handsome, handsome people. Those are all nice compliments guys had a great parking lot, ADA access to everything, a beautifully stained deck. No. Those are all good things to hear. But folks, there's a lot of churches that have beautiful buildings, beautiful people, beautiful parking lots, the greatest and the latest of everything, and yet Christ would say that they are whitewashed sepulchres. Do you know what a whitewashed sepulchre is? sepulcher is that stone sepulcher literally means flesh eater it's a stone sarcophagus that they would put the body into to rot until it just became bones and then they would remove the bones out of that and place them in an ossuary somewhere well, that's a pretty bad statement <laughs> and and he says you know you're whitewashed You take something that's there to create rot and you try to dress it up and make it look real good. There's a lot of churches that Christ has said or Paul has said or others have said you are whitewashed sepulchers. But Paul to this church, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Why? For you are all partakers with me of grace. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So number one, he's obligated to feel this way. Why? Because of their partnership with him. He's not alone. He has a whole team with him. And Paul's, to know Paul's life is to know that he struggled. To know Paul's life is to know that he was in prison. To know Paul's life is to know that he was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was stoned. Over and over and over. And folks, have you ever been at that point where you felt alone? And when you get feeling alone, a lot of times you're hanging on by a thread. And to know that you have a team working behind you gives you more strength than you could ever muster by yourself. He says, my heart is attached to you. And it's right for me to feel this way about you because... Of your partnership, your teamwork. And he segments it into two things. Number one, because of their his ministry, their support in his ministry, but he says two specific things. Number one, his personal ministry and his needs while in prison. They didn't just simply say, Oh, it's fantastic, it's great that that Paul's suffering in prison for Jesus. That's what a great guy. We back that guy. What an honorable. They said, we're sending someone to you we're sending resources to you we're sending care for you so you don't feel alone a missionary that we support that i'll be heading over to the middle east in early october with he is in iraq right now he is in kirkirk he is 128 meters away from isis he met one of the first christians that ever was tagged with the end that they marked homes with for destruction and persecution. The end standing for Jesus of Nazareth. John is over there right now as an American. I don't need to say any more about how dangerous that is. And yet, you are partnering with John and you are going to send me with John to preach to, encourage, and help restore pastors in Egypt that have gone through terrible and horrific suffering. You are partnering with with this ministry and we say our heart is attached to you and it is right for us to be feeling this way he also says because of what a practical outworking of the gospel to know that your passion your desires and those things that god has laid on your heart and god has instructed you on that you pass those things on think of a coach or a parent When you're trying to instruct, you're trying to teach something, and the moment they execute it for the first time, the deep satisfaction that happens, that because they followed the instruction, even though they didn't know how to do it perfectly, they followed the instruction and they had a little bit of success. And it left a good taste in their mouth. And they slowly started coming in line and improving and doing better. This is exactly what Paul's talking. And as I look out and I see at the meeting on on Wednesday with Awana, and I look at the 12 people that are in the room, there's only one person in that room that was at this church three years ago. Many of the people in that room are fairly new believers. And they're taking that message and passing it on, just like Paul commends the church at Philippi, we commend you. It brings no greater joy to the Lord first, but to your pastor second. To see what you are doing. So the question I have for you under that point, the challenge, the the uh, application, if you will, for you to wrestle with this week is this: Are you in a partnership with your church? Are you in a partnership with your church? Look at your life. Look at the time that you spend, and wrestle with that idea of how are you partnering with your church? Lastly, we bring up this point that he's proclaiming his love for them. Verses 8-11. through Let's read those verses again. He says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory of God, and praise God. So what is he saying here? Well, there's some fascinating things. Number one, the action of stating his affection for them is desperately important. If I am not displaying and constantly encouraging you how much you mean to me and how your testimony of faith is an encouragement first to the Lord and also to me and to others, then I'm not demonstrating the right affection to you. And this is something that I've learned and been reminded of by looking at this passage. As Paul says, I want to thank you, I say the same thing to you today, my friends. I have great affection for you, but I'm a guy and I don't know how to show up very well. And so I try. And I continue to work at that. And even in this sermon, as we will conclude, you'll hear some areas that I want to praise you in. And I want to say that it's because of these areas and because of God's work in your life that I have great affection for you. And that my family has great affection for you. So He takes the action of stating His affection for them. And folks, we don't do that enough. We had a life group meeting this past spring where we are going through the book of Philippians. And we decided just to practice what Paul was doing. Rather than study it, we decided to practice it. It was one of the most invigorating, uplifting times we've ever had in my life group for four years. There's something about edifying that is, as they say, soup for the soul. So we need to take that time. It's also beneficial for those who practice it. It's helpful for those who practice it. Because it brings us into deeper relationship. My friends, as we grow as a church, as there are new people here today with us, to show that affection means that we have to get out of our own mindset like Paul's doing here. And we have to recognize and we have to say, I want to grow in my understanding of who you are. And I want to spend some time with you. And I want you to spend some time with me. And let there be relationship to where we're continually saying to each other, hey, I want to thank you. Because I see God working in your life. I want to thank you because how you support me. And that keeps reciprocating. What a healthy picture of what it means to be a supportive church. The action of prayer for them as a result of their relationship was stemmed out of His love He was compelled in his prayers to remember them. That stemmed out of his relationship with love. Three ways that I want to focus on this. Number one, he would pray that they would grow in their love. Do you see it in the passage? He prays specifically that they grow in their love. They already have love and he says, we still need to grow. For many of us, we say, hey, I'm a loving person. Ask anybody in this church. Folks, we can still grow in that love. We can still grow in that love. To practice godly love. And he says, I want to add to that number one, or number two, that they would grow in their knowledge. That some of what happens within churches, my friends, is that we just want to fill seats. And so, therefore, we're careful about making sure that we're funny enough, or that we look good enough, or that the music's sharp enough that you'll come back next week. But I've had three people tell me this past week that they've attended churches where they never grew in their knowledge or their discernment. And because of that, it became very difficult to grow in their love for those around them or for their love of leadership. So a supportive church that we say thank you to is one that desires to grow in their knowledge and discernment. Get into the Word of God. Find someone to mentor you. Get in a life group. Attend our Bible study starting next Sunday. Commit yourself to being in the Word and being in service. Ask. Find a mentor that can help you unlock the principles and the promises of Scripture. He also prays that they would grow in their discernment. Have you ever thought that you knew everything? I know I did once. I thought I was right found out I was close, but I wasn't all the way there. This idea of thinking that you know everything, I I think that there are stages in our life where we think we know everything. Have you ever been on the opposite end of that, where you were giving advice to somebody, well-intended advice to somebody, and it really fit even with with scriptural advice, but you weren't listening real well? Or maybe you just didn't connect the dots right on. This is discernment, my friends. Sometimes, as Paul would say that he's thankful for their love, discernment knows when to exercise knowledge in love and when to love in knowledge. Does that make sense? That there are moments where people come with biblical knowledge and they just hit you over the head with a sledgehammer, but there's a lot of love missing out of that. But hey, they needed to hear it, right? I see Paul use this technique. and Folks, this is where discernment comes. And Paul knowing that, Paul being the one that talks in very determinative language. Paul understands this and he gets it. And he's saying it's not just enough to have knowledge. You've got to have the discernment how to use that knowledge so that people grow. That's what separates good coaches from bad coaches, by the way. That's what separates a lot of times good parents from bad parents. Good churches from bad churches. Lack of discernment. The Pharisees had a lot of knowledge, right? The Sadducees had a ton of knowledge. But they did not have a discerning spirit to recognize Christ when He was standing in front of their face. So discernment is desperately important. And He says, I want you to grow in your love, I want you to grow in your knowledge, and I want you to grow in your discernment. And He goes on to explain this. excuse me i didn't put that up fast enough but let it moves on he's proclaiming his love for them so that they would be what so that they would be effective if you're growing in your love if you're growing in your knowledge if you're growing in your discernment and a lot of times my friends discernment can be knowing how to practice that love and how to practice that knowledge right and so he does this and he says this and he encourages them with this so that these things would happen number one they would be able to approve what is excellent they would be able to approve what is excellent. I want you to take a moment and I want you to think about when someone showed you the more excellent way. We're not talking about opinion, whether you like one movie versus another movie or certain music versus another music or, or, or whatever that would be, or foods or, or whatever. But things that are actually really good choices. And you thought that you were making the right choice. I've shared with you the story of Heading out to my grandmother's funeral and we had a little bit of time to kill. My best friend Kelly and I were at a a local fine eatery called Burger King. And um, we were sitting there and and somebody walks in and starts doing that shell game. And and some of you heard me tell this story. Now I thought I had all the knowledge in the world. Because I'm watching them do this and every time he's doing this to somebody else I'm looking at him saying I know exactly where the ball is. Every single time. And they knew exactly what they were doing to me. And they suckered me. And the entire time, my friend Kelly, who had love for me, he had knowledge, but he had more discernment than I did. And he kept trying to say across the chair, stop, stop. It's a con. Stop. And I wouldn't listen because I was, I'd already lost money and I'm getting suckered. I'm like, no, 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 no. I know. I know where it is this time. Left that place a lot lighter in the wallet. And a lot more humble than I care to admit. Discernment is so valuable so I can approve what is excellent. He also says that you would be able to be pure and blameless before the throne. Is this possible? Do you think in those terms that you would be pure and blameless before the throne? I look at that statement and say, (laughs) I can't do that. It's a lot of pressure. Pure and blameless? Have you seen my life? Folks, the idea of Attempting to be pure and blameless through the power of Christ is what he's talking about. And by the way, Christ is the one that purifies us and makes us acceptable to the Lord. It's not through our works that we are pure and blameless. But attempting to have God work through us and to live under His will and to obey Him and to follow in His precepts and abide by His promises. And as we grow in that, that we would be able to be pure and blameless. That's a goal. That's the reward. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. I'm not filled yet. Anybody filled completely with all the fruit of righteousness? Again, my friends, these are the goals that Paul is setting out. He says that they would be effective in doing these things and in growing these things. This is his prayer to them. He's saying, thank you. And that they would testify to the glory of God through their life. I have a few things that I want to say thank you to this church. Number one, your devotion to God. Your devotion to the Lord is strong. Do you need to grow in it? I don't know. You know. I would suspect yes. Because I think we all need to grow in our devotion to God. But I can tell you as your pastor, I see your devotion to God. I see overwhelmingly throughout the membership of our church a devotion to God. And if you struggle in this area, I want to encourage you that those things that want to take you away and pull you away from that devotion are not healthy for you. They are not good. Use discernment. But I want to say thank you for your devotion to God. So that when those things want to creep in, when your faith is tested, like your story after story of where you say, I was out there, man. I was on the edge. I was about to give up. And yet I desired God more. So I came back. Thank you. Your devotion to the Word of God. Folks, you get a litany of information and things that are thrown out there as what is good for you and what is true. There was a a recent... Some of you may have seen me say something this week on facebook i don't normally speak to other ministries because i think churches are really bad at that about criticizing but there is a huge ministry worldwide ministry that blatantly said this past well i don't know when they said it recently but during a church service said that we don't worship to obey god that we really should worship for ourselves because God wants us to be happy. Folks, that is the most incredible statement of idolatry coming from a pulpit that I've ever heard. And everybody's cheering on. Yay! So it's not about obeying God according to this person. We're not to be obeying God, we're to be obeying ourselves. And our happiness is a higher priority then obeying God. Now who sits on the throne? I do. I do. Thank you for your devotion to the Word of God and not being swayed by every little thing that breezes in and out. Your devotion to one another. Folks, we bump up against each other. There are things that happen all the time where I might say something, you might say something, I just don't like how you look on one particular day, I don't know. Normally I would say you don't like how I look, but I just thought I'd take a shot at you. By the way, you're all looking great today. You're welcome. But I jest, right? Because this is a difficult thing within churches. We bump up against each other. The only way we survive, now let's not talk in survival terms. The only way we thrive is by loving one another and loving Christ first, loving the Word of God, and being devoted. By the way, devoted means when it gets hard, we don't back away, right? That's what devotion means. So thank you. Thank you for being a church that's that way. And also your devotion to your pastor. I get to go with my wife to a pastor's conference and and with Stephen and Becky in a few weeks. And it'll be a great restoration time for me to listen to some great teaching, go to some seminars that will help restore us, and for us to spend time in prayer together and planning as a team. And when we're there, we often hear, Seminar after seminar, how to handle burnout, how to handle the tough congregation, how to, what do you do when this is going wrong, what do you, you know. And, and those happen in all churches, but I get to brag on you every year about how much you guys love us and how much you care for us and your devotion to my family and to me. Notwithstanding, you should never follow a person. But that's different than what I'm saying. My heart cries out to you to say thank you for caring for us and being devoted to us as those who are called to come and serve you. So thank you. Let me close in prayer. I'm going to ask the men to prepare for the offering and Steve will play a song To encourage us and for us to join in in closing today. Again uh, we have a few things happening this week and then Saturday 8 to 1 if you want to come by and kind of help get the property back up to shape um, we'd love to see you. But please as you leave today I would love to see these disappear. It's almost like we're doing a church plant and we're starting new next week. And so let's get the word out to people and look forward to what's going to happen and what's continuing to happen as a devoted church. And and to be able to say thank you. And for many of those who are pulling together their ministries, I want to say thank you. It's hard. It's difficult. We're being challenged to change. It probably means a little bit more work on some people's level. It probably means maybe a little easier work on other people's level. But regardless, the point is in order to grow and to see other families come into relationship with Christ... You're being devoted to that process. And so I want to say thank you. And that's what this message was about today. So let me pray. That the Lord would accept our time of offering. If you're visiting with us today. Please don't feel any compulsion. Uh, to participate in this part. Um, this is part of our worship. Um, but if you want to. Please drop that card. Into the offering basket. And we would love to contact you this week. Thank you for being here. Let's pray. Lord it is with a joyful heart that I was privileged to bring this reflection by Paul today for his love and affection for this church in Philippi. Because, Lord, I share that same love and affection for this body, for these people, for these individuals. And, Lord, as we move forward together as a congregation, let us share that same love with those who come that You bring to be part of our church family. Let your hand be evident to all so that we may be able to stand uh, pure and blameless and to present glory to you. Father, take our offering today. Use it for your glory. Manifest it uh, in people's lives and bless those who are giving. Let them be joyful as part of their their worship. To your glory, Father. Amen. Amen.